to come up now and begin our brand new sermon series. And children are dismissed to go back with Pastor Todd. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Wyoming Valley Church. We're really glad that you're here. And we are starting a new series today. And the series is uh, Lessons for Living, Kingdom Principles for Our Earthly Journey. And the lessons for a few, week or a few weeks are all going to be from the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the New Testament, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book. It's the third Gospel in the New Testament. And if you have your phone, you can just look it up. And uh, this morning, even though we're starting a series on the Gospel of Luke, we're actually going to be studying the very last chapter. We're going to look at the end of Luke today. Then we'll talk, I'll talk to you about why in just a moment. Um, when I was a kid, my, my parents didn't travel much, and we, we weren't the kind of family that went on vacations a lot or very far away a lot. But one summer, we were on vacation with our family, and we stopped at a cavern. Has anybody done that? It's actually a cave, and you go below ground, and in it, I, I've never forgotten this. I was just probably a little kid. And I was probably standing as close to my dad or my, my older brother as I possibly could. But we went down into this cave. And as soon as we got down in there, the guide, which I think he probably did to every single group who went down in there, uh, turned out the lights. And we're in this cave below ground. And the guy turns out the lights and literally you couldn't see anything. And the guide says, take your hand and put your hand in front of your face. And you literally couldn't see your own hand. It was that dark. And I'm sure he did that to scare the daylights out of me. I'm sure he did. Mel Walker's here, and I'm going to scare the daylights out of him. Now, I'm sure he did that to everybody. And the guide lit one match. One match. One little light. And the whole cave with the... If you're a scientist, forgive me, stalactites and stalagmites, whatever that is hanging down and going up, was just gorgeous of one little light. What we want to talk about is the light of Jesus in our lives. This world that we live in is an incredibly dark place. It really is. And this, uh, this summer, we're going to look at the light of Jesus and the light of the Word of God. In Psalm 119... Actually, I know, I know a lot of you know this verse, and it is one of my favorites. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Um, literally, in those days, um, they had an invention that I've always thought that uh, I would send this idea into Nike or Adidas and become a bazillionaire. So if you steal my idea, I'll know where you got it from. But literally, they had oil lamps with a wick that they were weighted, and they had a deal with. They were, this was before Google, before CNN, before Fox News, before the Internet, before telephones, before Telegraph, before newspapers, and, and so on, where they would literally, the runners that would take the news from town to town, would literally have a lamp on their feet. 
And the idea was that that lamp would show them the very next step. Did you ever trip up in the dark? I trip up at noontime. I mean, I'm, not, I'm that kind of guy. Just a few months ago, I was on my way to the dentist. I think maybe I told you the story. And I tripped and fell up the stairs on the way to the dentist. And what I didn't know is the nurse, the receptionist, and this old guy were inside the dentist office, and they all saw me trip. And they all, I mean, this, this big guy trips on his way up. They all come out. The dentist comes out, and they're all trying to help me, and I'm, like, embarrassed looking around. And come to find out the whole waiting room saw me fall or whatever. And this old guy that was in the dentist office said, boy, it's a good thing you're okay. He said, my first thought was, how many of us are gonna t- is it going to take to get this guy up? <laughs> Life trips us up sometimes. Life is dark sometimes. And when I send my idea that on tennis shoes or sneakers there ought to be a light to show us the next step and I become a billionaire, I will uh, let you know the idea that the idea worked. What, what, what a great thing. I will admit to you that lots of times in life I don't know what the next step is. I'll admit to you that lots of times in life I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say. And I'm so thankful for we sang about that today, the Lord Jesus Christ in my life and his direction. TGD read the scriptures. I'm so glad for the word of God that guides my path, that tells me what's the next step to take. And it really is kind of ridiculous that we live life like the Walker family being in the cavern and turning out the lights and you can't see anything. When we have the light of Jesus Christ and the light of the word of God, to direct our lives. So it's with that theme, the graphic of the guy with the light, that we're going to talk about this summer. Lessons for living. Lessons for living. And we're going to start that today with a series, from, with, a, with a message, excuse me, from Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me, or you can turn on your phone. And if you have the notes handy, there's a little bit of a fill in the blank. And there's a couple times, a few times, that I'm going to have you write down a couple other references. But here's the theme for today, is this. Understanding that our walk with Christ, understanding that our walk with Christ impacts every area of our life. Understanding that our walk with Christ impacts everything. Which I'm very thankful for, because that's the light, that's a direction that we have. If you have your Bibles... In Luke chapter 24, what I'm about to read to you is the story which is after the death, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is at the end of the gospel. And there is a passage here which I've always thought has an incredible lesson for us. And I want to share that with you today from Luke 24. And we'll, we'll get there in just a minute. But if you have your Bibles or have your phone or whatever else, you can just... Listen to me. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to start reading at verse 20 or verse 13 and read several verses. I'm going to read down to the end of verse 35. And then as we go through, I'm actually going to talk with you about a few verses after that. But I want to read to you um, from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 down to verse 35. Please listen as I'm going to read aloud this passage. Um, now behold, this is again after the death the burial, um, after the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. 
it tells a little bit about that in the first 12 verses of this chapter. And other Gospels paint that picture as well. Now it's after that when I'm reading today. Verse 13, now behold, two of them, the followers of Jesus, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They're walking. And probably, let me, let me just stop. Um, there were probably, the, the, the death of Jesus was a big deal. And it happened during the, the, the Passover feast. Jerusalem was packed. And so people were, this was a big deal. The passage is going to talk with you about that. So there were probably other people walking back home. There's no other way. I mean, there's no bus. There's no taxi. There's no Uber, right? They're walking home. I have always been a walker. I've, I've shared that several times, and, I, and I, I crack myself up, right? But they're walking home, all right? So Now, behold, two of them were traveling, walking the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. As they talked together, all of these things which, happened, which had happened. So it was that uh, while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, walked with them. But their eyes were restrained, the Bible says, so they did not know him. Verse 17, and they said to him, what kind, and he said to them, excuse me, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said, not one of the twelve apostles, but a follower of Jesus. And I'll talk to you about him in just a minute. And said to Jesus, <coughs> Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things that happened there in those days? I mean, what, what are you talking about? You've got to know what happened, that Jesus uh, was crucified. You, are you the only one who doesn't know that? Okay, then verse 19, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, what things? So Cleopas and the other disciple, which is who is not named, said this. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers <coughs> del <coughs> excuse me, delivered him to be condemned to death. And crucified him. But we were hoping, it says, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, save Israel from the Roman oppression. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company uh, who arrived at the tomb, his tomb, Jesus' tomb, early, astonished us. When they did not, and when they did not find his body, they came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who were who said that he was alive, that Jesus was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ, the Messiah, have suffered these things. In other words, doesn't the Bible teach that? The Old Testament teach that? Suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then in verse 27, it says this, And beginning 
at Moses and all the prophets, Moses writing the first part of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And folks, again, let me stop there. I want you to know that the Old Testament certainly points to Jesus. And Jesus was taking that opportunity to show them that. Verse 28, and then they drew near to the village where they were going. So I'm not sure in this seven miles what, how, when this happened. But they drew near to Emmaus where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, Abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. And he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then verse 31 says, Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, it's Jesus. And he vanished from their sight. In verse 32, they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, seven miles backwards. And they found the eleven, the apostles, and those who were with them, the other disciples, followers of Jesus, gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon, to Peter. They said that. And they told about the things that had happened to them on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And we're going to stop there, and we'll look at a few other verses later on. And that is the, the Word of God. What I want to talk with you about today just for a few minutes today, is this, that understanding, that we need to understand that Jesus impacts every area of our life. In the middle of the story, here toward the end of the story, it says this, that he walked with us or talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures. I love that. And I think that that is a great message, a great lesson for all of us about the impact that Jesus can have on our life. And what I want to talk with you about, what I want to talk with me about, is that our relationship with Jesus impacts everything that we do, and that the Word of God, that He has given us the Word of God, because God's Word teaches us about, about life, about everything that we do. There's principles in the Word of God that, that guide us. And I love that. that as life happened, they're walking. They, went, they were on their way. As life happened, Jesus taught them the Word of God. And we'll talk more about that later on. But I love that idea that as life happened, God's word applies to life. And Jesus is an impact. It needs to impact every area of our life. So here's, here's we're going we're gonna to talk about the Gospel of Luke. Pastor Todd and me, uh, throughout the summer, are going to teach several different things, lessons for living from the Gospel of Luke. So let me, let me just backtrack for a few minutes. I'm going to do this really quickly. And tell you a little bit about Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, and a little bit about the Gospel of Luke. First of all, that Luke was the author. And I gave some references there that highlight uh, Luke and Luke's life. I underlined Luke chapter 1. If you would look at Luke chapter 1, and maybe we'll talk more about that in the upcoming series, Luke explains who, who he is a little bit. He explains a little bit about who he's writing this story to, and he explains a little bit about what he did. Let me just say to you, I've underlined that, and I'll talk about this in just a minute. In most cases, Luke was not 
that we know of an eyewitness to the life of Christ. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, tell us, and I'll, and I'll talk with you more about that, that he investigated, he talked with other people who were there. And so he was not one of the 12 disciples that, that became apostles. He was, he was a physician. We'll talk about that later on. And, but yet he investigated, he studied, which I think is, a, I'm not going to talk necessarily more about that, but I think that's a great lesson. In other words, learn all you can about Jesus. That's what Luke did. That's, that's pretty good advice. Learn all we can about Jesus. Jesus needs to be our model. Lots of times in life we worry about people and we worry about hypocrites and other people. And, and even the disciples did that. Later, or earlier in our, in, in a, few, a few months ago, we were, I was talking with you about following Jesus. And I talked to you about the life of Peter. Remember at the end of the Gospel of John, the first thing Jesus ever said to Peter was, follow me. The last thing Jesus ever said to Peter was, follow me. Peter looks at him and looks at John, the, gospel, the, 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 the Apostle John, and says, what about him? Jesus basically said, don't worry about him. You follow me. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Follow Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. We do that from the Word of God. And I think that's what Luke did. Let me just tell you a little bit more about him, and I'll tell you where you can find more about Luke. Luke was a physician. He's not a, he was not necessarily a missionary. He was not a pastor. He was not a minister. He was a doctor. And the Bible kind of says that and moves on. Colossians chapter 4. The Bible calls him the beloved physician. At the end of the Apostle Paul's life, who humanly wrote most of the Old Testament, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy, Paul wrote about it was the end. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. And he talks about how people had disappointed him. But in the end of his life, he says, only Luke is with me. So here was a physician that became, God worked in his heart. And he was at, at the end, Paul's life, Luke was there. And I don't know what that meant for Luke's future or if he was martyred or what. But Luke had that. He started as a physician, probably in those days, very well-to-do, very influential. That is, physicians are that in our day, right? It probably, it probably was even more so in that day. But the indication was he left that to follow Jesus and to learn all he can about Jesus. It doesn't matter who we are or what we are or what our background is. Folks, it doesn't matter. Learn all we can about Jesus. Jesus wants us to follow him. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter how successful or how unsuccessful or what a mess our lives are or what a success humanly our lives are. Follow Jesus. That's the lesson of Luke. Number two, there's a great contrast. Often in the Bible, Luke is contrasted with a guy by the name of Demas. Demas in the Bible was the guy who was a follower of Jesus, who was a follower of Christ. But at the end of, the life, at the end of his life, the Bible says that he... He loved the world more than he loved Jesus. And Luke is often contrasted. It seems as if Luke was the guy that had everything the world had to offer. Had every, he was a physician, probably very well-to-do, probably very influential. And he left that to follow Jesus. Demas was a follower of Jesus, and he wanted what the world has instead. That's a pretty good lesson, too. We're not going to talk any more about that than that. But again, I think that the lesson of Luke is... 
learn all we can about Jesus. That's what Luke did. And don't accept the world instead of Jesus. Luke was the author of the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. I, I mentioned this a couple times already. I love the fact that Dr. Luke was a student of Jesus. He learned all he could about, about the life of Jesus. And he says that in Luke and in Acts. He's a guy that traveled with the Apostle Paul. In fact, the indication in the Bible and also from church history is that Luke left his practice. He walked away from money. He walked away from prestige to follow Jesus. And during Luke, or during Acts, the pronouns change. And the pronouns change to the, the word we. Paul, or Luke was along for the ride. He was along on the missions trip. I love that fact. When we were in our first ministry, Peggy and I, there was a, a doctor in our church, Dr. Bob Cropsey. And uh, Dr. Bob Cropsey taught surgery at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And he was also chief of surgery at a hospital in Detroit. This guy had two jobs where, I mean, I'm telling you, he made a boatload of money, Dr. Bob Cropsey. But he loved the Lord, and God started working in his life. And Bob and Shirley, Shirley was a very good friend of Peggy's. And uh, they believed that God was calling them. I mean, they had everything. Two jobs that were incredibly influential and well-paying jobs. Cars, houses, money, all of that stuff. And Dr. Bob and Shirley Cropsey knew that God was calling them to the mission field. And they left all of that to move to Togo, Africa. The jungle. And I had a chance to speak in their commissioning service. And my goodness, what a testimony. I remember one time, Dr. Bob, before he left, he, he, he paid for lunch at a really fancy hotel in Ann Arbor and had all of his doctor buddies come to this lunch to tell them that, hey, I'm leaving and I'm going to move to Africa and here's why. And he told them about Jesus. And now he's been for several years the chief medical officer at a mission called ABWE. That's the mission that our daughter, Christy Walker, is with, our missionary. And he's the chief medical officer and works with doctors all over the world following Jesus and helping other people because he was willing to follow Jesus. Luke was that kind of guy. Luke was that kind of guy. Amazing how he walked away from the world. Luke says that he sensed the call of God to preach. I think today we look at preach like what I'm doing, and I am. But preach really means to proclaim. Dr. Bob was one of those guys that knew he could use his platform to tell others, to proclaim Jesus to other people. Let me tell you a secret. So can we. So can you. You know people I'll never meet. I know people that you'll never meet. And we have an opportunity to use our background, our platform. Luke was like that. Luke had that opportunity, and he jumped at the chance to use his world of influence to tell others about Jesus. So did Dr. Bob Cropsey. And so can us. So can we. Us. Us? So can we. Luke was um, with Paul at the end at the end of his life. Isn't it a good thing to have a doctor, have that kind of guy around? And it just tells you a little bit about his faithfulness. This wasn't a, um, a show to him. It wasn't fake to Luke. It was real. So much so that at the end, when believers were being martyred, um, 
Luke was there. Luke's that kind of guy. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give up the world. I'm going to follow Jesus. And he ends up being a guy that writes two books of the Bible, Acts and Luke, because he followed Jesus. I don't know, again, what your background is. I don't know what your platform is, your sphere of influence is, or whatever. But God wants us to be followers of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So here's the thing. Walking with Jesus, there's two things I think this text tells us. Number one is all of life should point to Jesus. Number one, all of life should point to Jesus. And number two, I think this passage teaches us that God's word applies to life. That God's word applies to all of life. And I'm going to do this quickly, but I think those are the lessons from this passage. So number one, all of life should point to Jesus. You're going to have to fill in the blanks a little bit on your notes if you have that. And I'm going to walk around at the end and make sure you do. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But there's four things, I think, from this passage that I think are incredibly practical. Let me share them with you. Number one, human conversations should focus on Christ. And maybe I should have put it, can focus on Christ. Human conversations. Let me, let me backtrack in the story. The followers of Jesus are walking home. Okay? Jesus had been crucified, brutally crucified on the cross. They buried him. They thought, these men, these guys, thought he rose from the dead. The women went there and they had the vision of the angel, but Jesus wasn't there. They, they hadn't seen Jesus yet after the resurrection. They hadn't, so they're, they're walking home. I mean, life kind of calmed down a little bit, although it's the same day. And they're walking home. And the indication was, this seven miles, that there were other people who were on the journey, because all of a sudden, they're walking home, Cleopas and, and, and the other guy. And we don't even know who that is. They're walking there along the way. And all of a sudden, Jesus is walking with them. Grace, I think he was a sidler. Don't you? He's just sidled up. Remember? Yeah, I think he was. All of a sudden, Jesus is walking with them. I mean, so it's not like, oh, it's like, oh, he just... People were there, and all of a sudden, it's, it's Jesus walking along the way. And I read the passage to you. In the passage, it mentions that they were already in a conversation. Let me, let me back up and show you that. In Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 13, Behold, the two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles. Verse 14 says, And they talked together of all these things that had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned. Now that's an interesting phrase that's in my translation of the scripture. The word conversed means that they kind of had opposite opinions. And reason means that they were talking it through logically. So it was almost like they were in an argument. I'm not sure exactly what that was, but they were, they were talking this through. What had happened? And I'm sure a lot of it was... Do you believe that uh, Jesus rose from the dead, or are we missing something? It was that kind of conversation. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there. And I think one of the things that this passage teaches us, that our human conversations today can give us an opportunity to talk about Jesus, that we can do that too. That human conversations can give us an opportunity to talk about Jesus. I wondered about that this week. I was reading through this passage several times and just shooting straight with you. Um, I wondered about my life. And I wondered about my family. And I thought about that. 
Um, what do we talk about the most? Who do we talk about the most? And I was thinking like, you know, like my high school friends who didn't know Jesus or my neighbors who don't know Jesus. If they looked at my Facebook page, what would they see that I talked about the most? In fact, that happened to me this week. Some of you know, because you're my friend on Facebook. A week ago, um, I have adult onset asthma, and uh, it's hard for me to come, excuse me, but all of you know, so we're just talking here, right? We're all friends. It's hard for me to get rid of phlegm. I mean, I just, I just have that, you know, abnormality in my system, and so I get infections, and I get pneumonia. And I, I didn't feel bad, but my doctor took a CAT scan, and I had pneumonia. So I put it on Facebook, and I put, like, praying friends, please pray for me. Um, we have brand-new next-door neighbors who I don't know if they walk with Jesus. I don't know if they um, – I don't even know. I mean, maybe they may be watching today. I don't know. But we have brand-new neighbors. And the lady who moved in next door and her husband – uh, but the lady is a Facebook friend of mine. And so this week, she said, Mel, how, I saw you. Our driveways meet at the bottom. And she said, Man, you know, Mel, how you feeling? I, I, I heard on Facebook that you're sick. And, and, uh, and I, so I said, that little conversation, I said, well, yeah, I put it on Facebook because I want people to pray. And all I'm saying is that people um, in life, we have conversations and we have opportunities to talk about all kinds of stuff. And so do the disciples. And I think Jesus is honored if we take those opportunities, maybe even in a quick second or two, and build Jesus into our conversations. I think this passage talks about that, that the importance of just talking about Jesus. And we'll talk more about that uh, with the next one. Number two. Use current events. Current events, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, can be a springboard to talk about Jesus as well. Current events, they did that here. You know, Jesus sidles up to them, and he says basically, what are you talking about and why are you sad? Jesus knew, but he said that to him, and he gave Cleopas and the other guy, whoever that was, an opportunity to tell them what their conversation was about. And so Jesus himself asked them this question. And they started talking. Are you the only one? Are you the only one in Jerusalem that didn't know what happened? I mean, don't you have uh, Facebook? I'm just, I'm just kidding about that one. Don't you have uh, a phone? Don't you have a newspaper? And, and they're talking to Jesus, only their eyes were darkened about that. And so the beginning of uh, that paragraph in the Bible, starting at verse 19, Jesus says, well, what are you talking about? What things? And so they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Folks, I think, honestly, I think life, and I'm not sure we've ever thought about this, but I think life gives us an opportunity to talk about Jesus. I think COVID and a situation gives us opportunities. I remember a few years ago, um, you know, after 9-11, 9-11 was so startling and so dark and so difficult. It gave us that opportunity. And I remember on 9-12, I had a chance to meet with a friend of mine who didn't know Christ. And, and, and the world, remember back then, the world was weird back then, right? 
And I had a chance to share Christ. And he, he came to know Christ that day. In fact, I had a chance in the whole restaurant to talk about Jesus because everybody was talking about 9-11. And do you think this is the end of the world? And we have that opportunity. Now, all I'm saying is that Luke seemed to be that guy. He's writing about this. And he's writing about Jesus. And he's writing about the followers of Jesus and their conversations. And what happened in life gave them an opportunity. We have noticed that in our lives over the years, you know, when our kids got sick, when our kids got hurt, when stuff happened with the car, when stuff happened with the house, often if we can just take those opportunities to build Jesus into our conversation, then that's a very good thing. It seems as if that's a message from this passage. Number three, the reality of Christ's involvement in our lives will be both encouraging and convicting, by the way. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, But we were hoping, which is really a difficult part of this passage, because you would think that followers of Jesus would have more faith than that. We were hoping that Jesus was the Messiah. We, would hope in, we were hoping that He was the, the Savior that was going to take us out of Roman oppression and all of that and now we don't know what happened and and all of that and so there is certainly a uh, a level of trust but not a great level of trust but also a level of conviction in this story as well drop down verses 46 this is at the end of the story in a few verses at the end of this after all of that Jesus appears back to all of his disciples it says that in verse 45 he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And he said to them, It is written, it was necessary for the Christ, for the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations, <coughs> beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Jesus said that to them. And Jesus is saying that because that's part of the Great Commission. He's saying that to us as well. And so you realize that Jesus' role in our life is encouraging because Jesus is there. I mentioned that I wanted you to jot down a couple of references. I know you know this, the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It ends, look at the part of the verse that I underlined there on PowerPoint. It said, and I am with you always, even to the end of the, of the age. Last week, Pastor Todd talked with us about a passage from Hebrews I love this verse in Hebrews. He says, for he himself, Jesus himself, has said, listen to this, I will never leave you or forsake you so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Jesus is with us. That's what Jesus said. Jesus went back to heaven, but he himself gave the promise and gave us the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus is there. And I think we need to understand that Jesus is present in our lives and Jesus is there and that ought to be encouraging. Yeah, there, there are times in life, there are, friends, there are, where life is hard and life is unfair. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Isn't that encouraging to know that no matter what happens in life, no matter how hard life is, Jesus is there and eternity is real. Isn't that encouraging to know that? Jesus' presence in our lives also ought to be convicting. That verse, those verses I just read talks about remission of sin, repentance, 
our relationship with Jesus ought to be convicting as well. Because our lives are not hidden from Jesus. In the news almost every day, right? There's stories of criminals that get caught because there's a camera somewhere. This week, they was it Lowe's in Dixon City? A guy stole a lawnmower. I'm not sure how bright that guy was, but uh, uh, if, if it was one of you, forgive me, but I'm, it wasn't me. But Lowe's, I mean, they got, his, they got his picture like 25 times. You know, they know what he was wearing. They know his face, had, you know, had all that kind of stuff. He walked out with a lawnmower. That's kind of hard to put in your pocket, right? I mean, it's like, but, but there's cameras are everywhere. They call, I mean, it's like, it, it's, Jesus is everywhere. What we do at home. Yeah, yeah, with a gun, yeah. Jesus is everywhere. To know what we do in secret. Remember I said, jot down a couple verses, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch of the evil and the good. And God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. I tell you all that because Jesus is involved in every aspect of our life. When we get treated unfairly and when we sin and mess up, Jesus is there. And our relationship with Jesus needs to impact every area of his life and every area of our lives. And the Bible teaches that. Number four, the truth of God's word will direct. I think the disciples knew that and Jesus certainly knew that. The truth of God's word will direct our lives toward Christ. Maybe, maybe. You're saying, you know, you're hearing you know, me talk about that. And you're like, well, how? How do I do that? How do I put Jesus into the conversations or whatever? And I think it is very, very simple. And that is the Word of God. If we're in the Word of God, God Himself will use His Word to help us think and help us talk about Jesus. God's Word does that. As we're in the Word of God, as God's Word is real to us, we can't help but share because it's God, because Jesus is real to us. And that's what happened with the disciples. Verse 27, Jesus comes to the conversation. He says, at the beginning, he started with the Word of God, at the beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That Jesus is in the Word of God. It's not just a religion. It's not just a relationship with, with another human. It's the relationship with the God of the universe and that as we're in the Word of God, God's Word gives us the ability to talk about Jesus in our lives. And the texts drop all the way down to verse 45. I read that verse already. He opened their understanding that they may comprehend the Scriptures. Yeah, I've, I've worked with young people for years and years of my life. I can't tell you the times that young people would say, well, you know, I read the Bible, but I don't get anything out of it. God, in our relationship with Jesus, uses the Word of God. It gives us the ability to understand the Word of God so that we know what God is teaching us and knows what, and that we know what life should be. That's what the Word of God does in our lives. So yeah, life, all of life should direct us to Jesus. And how do we do that? Folks, stay in the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God, and that brings us to number two. And I'm going to do this quickly, too. God's Word applies to every area of our lives. Remember, I read this passage, and I emphasized it a couple times already. Jesus is walking. At the end of the story, it says that he walked along the road and talked to them, and he opened the Scriptures. God's Word applies to life. God has given us an owner's manual for life. 
I maybe have told you this story. Years ago when our kids, Christy Todd and Travis, were little, my mom and dad came to, we lived in Michigan. My mom and dad came out to Michigan to see us. My dad worked for years and years and years at Sears in Binghamton and then Johnson City, New York. And one of the great things about a dad who worked at Sears is my dad got the Sears discount on everything. So like when we were building our house, I mean, I can't tell you how many things say craftsman because of my dad, Sears. Well, da my mom and dad came out to, and, and the Sears catalog, right? How many of you looked at the Sears catalog when you were little, right? I mean, the original Sears catalog, you could buy a house in there. I mean, who knew all the stuff that you could buy at Sears, the Sears catalog? You know, the supersonic jet. I'm kidding about that one. But um, my mom and dad took us to the mall, to Sears in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And my dad says to me, I want to buy a swing set for your kids. Wow, the kid, Christy Todd and Travis are little. I had never thought in my life about a swing set before. I had never thought about that. So we went into Sears. You, some of you that are old enough will remember that. We go into Sears, and Sears had a swing set section. Remember those days? They had two or three swing sets. My dad says, pick whatever you want. I have the discount. So I picked the one in the middle, not the most expensive one, not the cheapest one. The one in the middle. And the guy says to me, he says, here's the swing set. I'm looking at it. The guy says to me, my dad paid. My dad used the Sears discount. He said, go around back and pick up the box. What? It had never hit me that somebody has to put that together. I was thinking in my mind at that moment, okay, I'll drive home, and I'll hold the swing set out of one door. My dad will sit on the other side, and he'll hold the swing set, and we'll drive down the road with our Ford with a swing set, you know, on the slide. And, and so I go around back, and there's a box probably this size. And... And I'm thinking, okay, okay, wait a minute. Go put it in the trunk, swing set, and it's in my trunk. Only it's, you know, it's probably like three million parts, right? And so I put it in my garage. I put it in my trunk and go home. Park the car in the garage. And uh, my dad says to me, Mel, do you need any help putting it together? Dad, I got this. I saw the swing set. I got this. So I dumped it all out on my driveway. All the pieces, all the metal pieces, the bolts, all of that. Only I didn't at that time, dump out all of the box because the paperwork was actually stuck way up in on the bottom of the box, which first of all, and I may have told you this story, dumping the swing set out on the driveway was a huge mistake because we have a fence. And putting a swing set in the driveway is not a good idea when it's supposed to go in the yard. How do you get it up over the fence? That was a mistake. And so I did it together. And I was really glad. I thought, this is amazing. Sears gave me a bunch of extra parts. <laughs> Boy, they knew. Jim Walker worked there for all these years. They gave me, I'm thinking, that's really, I don't know what they do. But the swing set was up. There's the thing. There's the bar. There's the swings. There's the slide. It was a swing set. And my dad, right then, I told you, maybe I've told you this story before. My dad did a bad thing right then. He came out, and I had already told my dad, I don't need any help. My dad came out of the door, our backyard, I'm not kidding you, and slammed the back door of our house. He did a bad thing. He slammed the door. And all of a sudden, my swing set in the driveway goes, eh. the thing fell over. And my dad said to me, uh, Mel, did you read the directions? 
And I'm like, direction's dead. And he goes over to the box and dumps it up and down. And there in the bottom of the box was this little baggy plastic thing that had the directions. And step number one was take bolt A and put it in slot B. And I hadn't even used bolt A. I didn't even know. I didn't even know it was bolt A. And so my dad literally helped me take the thing apart and take all the parts over in the yard. And we followed the directions and put together a swing set until my kids got big enough to break the thing. You know, read the directions. Folks, read the directions. There's lots of times in life. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Lots of times in life. I've told you this one too. Thanksgiving morning. My first year as a pastor, the fall of 1976, Peggy and I had just gotten married. We were going to, we were living in Michigan. My folks lived here. Peggy's folks lived in Iowa. We were 500 miles from any family member. We we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner with our landlord, a believer that went to our church. That morning, I get a phone call. Family from our church. That morning, the mom, there was a girl in college, a girl in senior high, a boy in junior high. That morning, she shot and killed her husband with a deer rifle. They called the police, and they called me. What do you say? I had no idea. I had no clue. I didn't have a class on that in college. Let me say again, there's lots of times in life I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say. A few months later... Family called and wanted me to do a funeral. A little boy, four years old, playing with a lighter, lit curtains on fire and died in the fire. What do you say when a little boy dies? I don't know. Again, folks, please hear me. There's lots of times in life. You don't know what to do, you don't know what to say. And if we wing it, if we do it on our own, we're walking in the darkness. We're in dark. Turn the light. Life, folks, hear me, please. Life <coughs> needs to drive us to the Word of God. Life needs to drive us to Jesus. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't. Or have struggled. I, I know enough about life, and I know enough about people. Life. There's lots of times in life you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Jesus. The Word of God ought to do that. Four things, and I'm done. Number one, confidence for life and confidence for eternity come from the Word of God. Remember the disciples? Disciples were hoping that Jesus was the Messiah. At the end, they went back to Jerusalem and changed the world. That hope turned into confidence. Confidence for life, confidence to know what to say, confidence to know what to do comes from the Scriptures. Not from your experience, not from your ability to talk, not from your ability to have your background. It comes from the Word of God. And that's an important lesson in this passage. Number two, God designed His Word to relate to life. Aren't you glad we have an owner's manual that was written by the maker? Picture young Mel Walker. I was skinny then. In my driveway, putting a swing set together without the directions. I, didn't have an, I wouldn't have an idea what to do now. Look at the directions. 
There's lots of times in life you don't have a clue either. God has given us directions. That was written by the maker, written by our creator, the word of God. And God's word relates to life. We studied James a few months ago. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. God's word relates to life. A few weeks ago in family life night, on Wednesday night, I shared with you this passage. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the person of God might be complete, perfect, mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you were here on Wednesday night, I know on that Wednesday night, I know this is redundant, but I shared with you this chart about this passage. The, the, the two parallel lines that, that you have in your notes that are on my chart is your life. It's the path of life. Doctrine is how to walk. Doctrine is the teaching of the Word of God. You don't know how to live your life. The Word of God. Doctrine shows you how to live. The Word of God is that practical. Reproof. Notice the footprints are off the path. Reproof is when we're off the path because of our sin, because of our humanness, because of our frailty. And we need the conviction. Remember I talked about that before? Of the Word of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm not that guy. I'm not that person. God is a whole lot better at convicting us of sin and giving us help for our sin than me or Todd or anybody. Peggy's pretty good at it, but I'm just kidding. The Word of God. Conviction. We're off the path. That is good for you when God tells you that. Correction is how to fix the problem. That word literally means to stand back up straight. Remember my swing set? Illustration. <laughs> literally, it tipped over. God's word tells us how to get back on the path. The feet go back on the path. <coughs> instruction in righteousness. That word instruction in righteousness is the step-by-step instructions. It's like following a recipe or putting together a swing set. Step one, do this. Your word Psalm 119, 105 is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God's word tells you what the next step is. Guys, we're walking home on the path, hoping that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus talks to them about the word of God. He talks to them about how God's word applies to their life. He walked with them and opened the scriptures. What a great illustration. Jesus opens the scriptures. Life, go through life. Walk through life and open the scriptures. Number three, number three, excuse me. God's word, God himself will help us to understand his word. God himself will help us to understand his word. In John chapter 14, John chapter 14, write these references down. You can look them up. It says the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to, you all, bring to your remembrance all things that I said. Jesus told his disciples that. Aren't you thankful that it's not up to you to remember the word of God, that the Holy Spirit helps you to do that? John 16, 13 says, the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. As you study the word of God, God, it's amazing. It's, it's supernatural. It's a God thing. How God uses his Holy Spirit to help you understand the word of God. And if you don't understand, I've said this before, you know, uh, you know a, a ton of times here. If you don't understand it, study it. It's okay. The, you have the help of the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Word of God. If you come across something you don't understand, that's okay. 
God is certainly big enough to answer the hard questions. That morning, Peggy and I are driving across town to go visit three of our kids in our youth group. And I'm praying and I'm crying. Their mom had just shot and killed her dad. We had to get people to clean up the house. We had to get people to take the kids. Premeditated murder. Their dad's dead. Believe me, I prayed. Believe me, I searched the scriptures. Believe me, I tried to get the kids into the word of God. Because life is hard sometimes. And the only directions, the only help is from the word of God. Folks, uh, there's lots of times. You know me. There's lots of times in life I don't know what to say or what to do. The word of God. Life needs to drive us to the word of God. And the scriptures need to be the basis for what you believe. Not somebody's opinion, not somebody's podcast or message. The word of God. Based our belief, our doctrine from 2 Timothy, that word, our theology from the word of God. What we believe is in the word of God, not some made up theory of life. The disciples really didn't have that confidence yet. And Jesus shows up and he talks to them about the the word of God. And he says, I mean, I love that. He says, Jesus says, it is written. And I think he was teaching his disciples, go to the word of God. There's answers there. Go to the word of God. And base your beliefs based upon what God says, not about what man makes up. Right? Thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer. The Bible, the Old Testament teaches that. And to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached unto all the nations. Because Jesus and the Word of God impact life. One thing and I'm done. I just want you to notice one other thing in this passage. Jesus shows up, he sidles up to the men, Cleopas and the other guy. They're walking along the path, and Jesus sidles up to them. And, what happened? Why are you sad? The word sad means discouraged or disappointed. And Jesus takes that opportunity to tell them about himself, to tell them about the word of God. I just went all of that over you. Went over that, all of that with you, right? Now, I didn't read this passage, but I'm going to show it to you. At the end of the story, it says this. They worshipped him after Jesus, the the resurrected Christ. They worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. In English, that word, that phrase, great joy, is two words. In the original language, it's one word, which means they returned to Jerusalem excited, These disciples, Cleopas and the other guy, were sad. And after Jesus revealed himself to them, and after he talked with them the word of God, and he told them about Jesus all the way through the scriptures, and gave them the confidence that Jesus had risen from the dead, they turned home excited. Both words, by the way, sad and joy, are words that mean these things show up in life. God has the ability to turn sadness into great joy, to turn discouragement into excitement. Why? Jesus. If COVID, if life has taught us anything, it ought to be this. 
Jesus is still on the throne and the word of God still works. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, I too say amen. You're still on the throne. Jesus is still Lord. And your word still works. God, I pray more than I do that life would drive me to Jesus and life would drive me to your word. Help uh, that to be true with all of us. Father, if there's somebody here this morning or watching online who doesn't know Jesus as their own personal Savior, oh, God, bring them to yourself. Help them to see the reality of Jesus Christ and how real Jesus is and can be and how your word can be in our lives for eternity. That Jesus, this text says, came to save people, wants to help us to repent for the remission of our sin, the covering of our sin. Praise God. Thank you, God. Life needs to drive us to Jesus and drive us to your word. Father, thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for coming today. I love that passage, and I trust that that's uh, reality in your life, the reality of Jesus and the reality of the word of God. See you.